silver and gold. Ooh, silver and gold. I like that version, even though it's kind of a paraphrase. Uh, calloused and their heart is calloused and something. Right. Uh, this one says their heart is as fat as grease. You just don't get the sense from it. Yeah. But covered with fat. Co covered with fat in that one, yeah. Which is more literal, but you just don't get the point of, you know, it's like, uh, whatever. Thank you. Thank you, Sergio. He's got you. It was, I, it was in the wrong place. Yes, it was in. <laughs> I forgot to push the uh, the button. Thank you, Sergio. I, yeah. Hello. One of these days, I'll remember to do <laughs> do that. Okay. Um, let's see. We have um, one prayer request. Patty Patty Brennan uh, lost her husband, and now she has brain cancer. And so uh, we want to keep Patty Brennan in prayer. That's kind of tragic. Um, as a matter of fact, it's horrifying to think that she's going through this, but uh, uh, my friend has been taking her to church, and uh, so hopefully she's she's getting grounded in, in the Word and in the Lord during this really difficult time of her life. Okay, um, we'll read this day in Christian history, which today is uh, 1st of June. Okay, 1st of June. Uh, okay, Burke walked in, and he told me it's the 1th of June. And it made me think about um, uh, how people are so picky that they say you have to say 1 Corinthians instead of 1 Corinthians. And we say the 1st of June and 1 June. You know, it just, it, it's different styles. It's like in, if you go to California, they may say flip-flops. And if you go to whatever, Montana, they'll say uh, sandals and whatever. I just, it, it's people, people love to be... It's semantics. Usually the ones that get crazy like that just say, what is the book that precedes one? Yeah, hello. Ask him tomorrow what he's going to say tomorrow. Will he say the tooth of June? The tooth of June. Yeah, the tooth of June. That's exactly right. Okay, June 1th. He was a man who knew not only what he was living, but, but for what he was living for. See, I did it. Anyway, um, what he was living for, but also what he was willing to die for. His name is James Guthrie. He was born in a well-to-do Anglican family in Scotland in 1612. He attended St. Andrew's University, where his soul was awakened, as well as his mind. The two primary influences that God used to bring Guthrie to himself were weekly prayer meetings and his friendship with Samuel Rutherford, one of Scotland's greatest theologians. Guthrie left St. Andrews in 1638 to enter the Presbyterian ministry. In that same year, Guthrie took a bold step in opposition to King Charles I by signing the National Covenant. The king was attempting to force Episcopalian government on the Scottish Church. The Scottish Presbyterians drew up a document called the National Covenant to oppose the king's plan. Those who signed the covenant committed themselves to uphold the Reformed faith and Presbyterian government and to keep the church free of all civil control. On his way to sign the covenant, Guthrie chanced to meet the town hangman and took it as an ominous sign. <clears throat> Later that day, he said, I know that I shall die for what I have done this day, but I cannot die in a better cause. Guthrie served as a pastor through the First and Second English Civil Wars and the resulting Puritan Commonwealth under Oliver Cromwell. When Charles I was executed by the English Parliament in 1649, his son Charles II was proclaimed king in Scotland and took an oath to accept the National Covenant and to uphold Presbyterianism throughout his realm. However, in 1660, when Charles II was restored to the English throne, 
Following the end of the Puritan Commonwealth, he once again forced Episcopalian government on the Church of Scotland. Guthrie led a group of 12 Scotsmen who petitioned the king to keep him uh, to keep the oath he had previously sworn to uphold the covenant and encouraged him to fill his government with godly men who were themselves committed to the covenant. In response to their petition, Charles II threw Guthrie and the others into prison. At his trial before the well-named Drunken Parliament, Guthrie declared, It is not the extinguishing of me or of many others that will extinguish the covenant or the work of the Reformation. My blood will contribute more for the propagation of these things than my life and liberty would, though I should live many years. Guthrie was sentenced to be hanged, his head to be stuck on a pike, and his estate to be confiscated. In prison, he told his wife that he considered himself fortunate to be hanged on a tree as his savior was. Before his hanging on June 1, 1661, he said to the hush hushed crowd, I take God to record upon my soul, I would not exchange this scaffold with the palace and mitre of the greatest prelate in, prelate in Britain. Blessed be God who has shown mercy to me, such a wretch, and has revealed his son in me. Jesus Christ is my life and my light, my righteousness, my strength, and my salvation, and all my desire. Him, O oh him, I do with all the strength of my soul commend to you. Bless him, O oh my soul, from henceforth even forever. Lord, now lettest thy servant depart in peace, for my eyes have seen thy salvation. And with those words, he was with his Savior. His head was placed on a pike high above the Netherbrow port of Edinburgh, where it remained for 27 years. For what are you willing to die? What effect does that have on you on how you live your life? James Guthrie lived for 23 years with the knowledge that his stand to uphold the Reformed faith might cost him his life, yet he never wavered in his convictions. What is your attitude when God brings trials into your life? I live in eager expe expectation and hope that I will never do anything that causes me shame, but that I will always be bold for Christ as I have been in the past, and that my life will always honor Christ, whether I live or die. I said to Hidako, we were watching something this week, and I said to Hidako, I hope that I never have a moment in my life where I question God's goodness towards me. I just, I hope that never happens. That yeah, I may have a bad day, I may have difficult times, but I will never, I hope I will never question God's goodness toward me. And so uh, there you go with that. Okay, talking about God's goodness towards people. Um, first we'll read this. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, we greet you all in the name of Jesus our Savior. This is our great pleasure to share that we purchased video equipment to do the monthly Jesus Film meetings. He got a generator, he got a TV, etc. Many people are able to come to know the true God, his love, and his salvation plan. This provides them the opportunity to get eternal life. We would like to thank you very much for prayers and help with this video equipment. We appreciate your continued prayers and support. That's to the church in general. I don't want to give the person's name without permission that actually spent Say, uh, sent all of the money to have that happen, but that is hugely appreciated, and I hope it'll bring many to the Lord. Um, and then we have something here. Uh, I'll read you, and if I don't get a response by Sunday, I will read it again Sunday. 
Dear Brother Charlie and Brother Daniel, who's in the UK, we received urgent prayer request from one of the New Believers families that have been suffering from some trouble in his area. He needs prayer for his family. He says, I am Merchand, and my wife's name is Gulshad. We are come from Hindu background, and God led us to him at the end of last year on 11 November 2022. When I attended the video film meeting and watched the story of Jesus and turned to him in my new faith on Christ. This was amazing experience. I had to be in God's relationship. I was very afraid of God before, same to my wife, and we always were threatened by our Hindu people telling us that we cannot reach to God ourselves because God is super and he never talks to people directly. We worshiped cows and other gods. In November 2022, one of my neighbor friends led me to video meeting where I watched Jesus film and this story of Jesus touched my life. I was very upset for my life without God. I gave my life to God uh, by prayer and this was amazing experience of my spiritual life. I led my wife to God by attending this video meeting next month in December 2022. We were thankful to God for he provided us Bible to reach and learn from it so we continued our spiritual journey. Last week a tragedy happened with my family that our landlord called me in his place. He insulted me because someone complained to him that we are converted to Christianity and we are become kafir or K-A-F-I-R, uh, kafir. It is a bad word that Muslims call Christians, kafir. It means who does not believe in Allah. He kicked me out of the house that we rented his place and also told all other people in the area that no one should give us house on rent in this town and he announced it in the loudspeaker in the mosque. Now imagine this. This guy was a Hindu worshiping gods and they have less problem with that than they do with a person becoming a Christian. Hmm. Imagine that. This was a terrible situation for us. I was also taken back by my rented vegetable stall that I was selling vegetables. People became against us and they treated like animals and they did not allow us to drink and eat in their crockeries. We became very upset and prayed to God for his help. We shared this with, uh, I, I, I will just say his first name, I haven't said it before, but I don't think he cares now, Nazir and his wife and they provided us a temporary place to live. So he's living with them right now. We have no food and no work at all. We're very thankful to God, even in our challenges, we are able to survive. We need your prayers and help in this very ter terrible situation. We want to move to another town in Jamshoro, where we can rent a place and rent a stall to sell vegetables. This will cost us $600 in total, and we believe God will help us to earn good enough pay for the rent and food for us. We are very faithful to God and keeping our faith strong. Thank you for your prayers. And he didn't ask for the money, he just said that's what he needs. Well, I would ask that if anybody wants to provide that or if you wanna get $50 or whatever, whatever is not met after Sunday, I will take care of. But I'd like to give people an opportunity to at least uh, consider that. If you wanna help him, he signed his name and his wife's name, and I have their picture here, which I will not hold up to the camera. But if you want to see that, I'll have it here and on Sunday, uh, we'll have that as well. But there you go. That's the cost of following Christ, as this gentleman found out with his head on a pole for 27 years, and as these people have had their lives taken away from them because of believing in Jesus. But I, I, I find it hard to even imagine that they have no problem with uh, 
uh, with uh, Hindus worshiping cows, but and that just shows you that they know that Christianity is the truth. That they know it. They know that it is a challenge to their Islamic, whatever you call it, faith, or it, it's not faith because you have to have faith in something that's real. But anyway, um, we're into, oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the chance to come here and to uh, share in your goodness and to uh, share in your word. And we certainly pray for the lady with uh, brain cancer who just lost her husband recently, and it's like a world full of punches for her, I imagine, and she's probably questioning her, her own existence at this point. But um, I uh, would lift her up to you, and uh, also we certainly pray for this family, that uh, they will remain strong, and uh, two beautiful children, just young little children, plus he and his wife, and uh, it's hard to imagine that they have to face things like this, but that's the world we're in, and it's only going to increase where we are as well. So uh, give us all strength and uh, the fortitude to stand on the name of Jesus no matter what. Uh, if there's anything else that we give up in this life, may we never give up the name of Jesus. Uh, we pray for this class. We pray for the sacredness of your word to be handled properly. And uh, uh, if there's anything that is incorrect, please direct us to that so that we can correct it. Uh, we would never intentionally misuse your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> oh, boy. Just amazing, amazing to read things like that. Um, okay, what do we have here? We're in 1 Thessalonians 4, and it's starting in verse 9 today. Nine it is, right on the beginning of the paragraph. Ooh. Now, about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love each other. Okay, well, that's kind of what uh, the guy that had him come into his house. I mean, he's got a wife and two kids, and... Mm -hmm. Come stay with us. So, you know, uh, brotherly love. I mean, you lead somebody to Jesus, he's following through with his commitment. Uh, let's see here. In verse 12 of the previous chapter, Paul said, And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another, and to all, just as we do, to you. Now, in this verse, he again brings up the subject of love among the brethren. It's obviously something heavy on his mind and something which he feels must not be left unaddressed in its fullness. His words, but concerning brotherly love, contrast what he said in verses 6 through 8. There he began with that no one should take advantage and defraud his brother in this matter. Now he shows what is right rather than what is improper. Um, Let's see here. However, <clears throat> excuse me, he elevates the thought to highlight the importance of this fraternal bond by saying, you have no need that I should write to you. In other words, this is something you are already aware of and something that exists between you already. And how is this the case? He then adds, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Okay. Um, you know, he says, I have no need to write you this, but while I'm reading that, I'm thinking, actually, I'm glad he wrote that because everything that's in the Bible, we tend to forget, we tend to overlook, we tend to ignore, and by having these constant repetitions in Scripture, it helps you. It, it's something that reminds you. That's, that is if you're reading your Bible. If not, then I feel bad for you. Please go sit in the back corner. Um, but uh, I'm glad that he writes these things. Even if, you know, I, I have no real need to write this to you, I, 
It's good that he does. I'm, I'm just grateful for it. Uh, the word he uses for taught by God is unique. It is not found in classical writers, and it is only used here in Scripture. Only time anywhere in classical Greek or ancient Greek, it's where it was found, is right here. It is thus a word coined by Paul to make his point. The word is theodidaktos, and it means exactly God taught. Theo, or theos is God, and then you've got, you know, the word uh, didactic, for example, you know, didactic uh, teaching, okay? Um, so it means God taught. What Paul is speaking of here obviously must be speculated on. Does this mean that they already have uh, heard that the substance of the words of Jesus in his prayer for unity among the brothers? That's in John 13, 34, right? Okay, so is that what he's talking about? Does it mean that the instructions given by Paul and his associates, being the very words of God, have been received and acted upon by them? Or does it mean that the indwelling of the Spirit has taught them this? What is probably the case is a combining of two or three of these things. They were taught the very word of God by Paul and his companions. The Holy Spirit prompted them in their own spirits, and they may have had the very words of Jesus explained to them as well. In receiving Christ, they understood the family unit of believers in a new way. If they are adopted children of God because of the work of Jesus, then they are brothers in a real sense. Just as children of the same father and mother are united in a unique way, loving one another even when they disagree, so those in the church are united under a father and a mother, Galatians 4.26. Let me read you that so you don't think that I'm talking about Mary, okay? Um, Galatians, uh, hang on a second here. Doot, doot, doot. Certainly don't want you to think that, folks. God the Father and Galatians 4.26. But Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. As we're going through the Old Testament, I think we'll see it again on Sunday, definitely next Sunday. But anyway, um, uh, when it refers to cities and it says like the cities and the, its common lands, it's actually a feminine. Uh, the cities and their, uh, are this city and uh, its common land would actually be this city and her common lands. Okay. And I try to highlight that because there are times where you will see that, uh, you know, in most Bibles at one time or another, they'll use the feminine for a city. Especially like if you go to the story of um, when Joab pursued uh, Bickery uh, up to, uh, uh, what is it, uh, Abel, Beth Makkah, and they were going, remember he rebelled against David after Absalom was killed. He went up there all the way as far as Abel, Beth Makkah, and they're going to tear down the city to get this guy Bickery who was incited uh, rebellion against David. And so it says, you are the lady, the old woman comes out and saves the city. She says, why are you doing this? You're destroying a mother in Israel, speaking of the city itself. Okay, everybody translates it that way. And so I wish they would be more consistent. Uh, the King James Version does an okay job of it most of the time, but sometimes they don't because different translators will translate different parts of a Bible. And so this one says, her common lands or, you know, says it in the feminine and then the next translator three chapters later doesn't. And so they're not consistent. It's not a great translation, but at least they do it sometimes. But um, uh, so when you see a city in the Bible, it's a feminine entity. Why? Because it's like 
people dwelling, think of a, a mother, you know, and, and all the children inside of her, okay? Or a uh, children in a womb, okay? That's not going to happen with a guy, despite what they're trying to tell you in the world today, okay? So a, a city is a mother entity, okay? <coughs> so when Paul, when I say that uh, we are united under a father and a mother, it is God the Father, and we are in the New Jerusalem, the city of God, okay? So that's just a uh, poetic way of saying it. It's not literal, okay? Um, anyway, the bond is so close. That, oh, do you know? Do you remember what happened to uh, Bickery? Just a, that's right. He, they said, she said, I'll take care of this. We'll throw his head out if you don't tear down our city. So she went in, told him, and they went in, grabbed the guy, cut off his head, and chucked his head out the window. And so Joab withdrew from the city. So great story. Lots of blood and gore and, yes. you know. I probably waited too long to sit for you to read this, but you need to, First John 2, 27. Okay, so read it loud. No, no, no. Oh, okay, First John 2, 12. Where is First John? Is that after Tooth John or before Tooth John? Um, let's see here. Okay, First John. One John. One John, I got to get there. Give me a second. It's a small little book, so it's going to take. You know, they're so small that they're hard to find. Okay, hang on. The oneth of John two twenty seven. Yes, sir. Okay, here we go. But the uh, there you go. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. Okay, so there you go with that. And you're talking about the. But oh, keep, keep going. Okay. Well, you said just one verse, so I could I can read all day. We can just keep on going. I mean. Okay, uh, let's see here. Anointing, uh, where was I? Um, anyone to teach you? But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. There you go. So, okay, good. That's, that's a good verse to fit with that. And no, it wasn't too late. It was very timely. Okay, so um, talking about timely. Last week, I mentioned the imp of the perverse. Yes. Okay, and I, I took two stories and I combined them because it's been so many years since I read Poe. Okay, so I went this week and I went online. Poe, you can read all of Poe online for free. And I went to the imp of the perverse because it's only this long. It's not going to distract my attention at all. So it took about eight minutes to read through. Um, I took the telltale heart where the guy buried the person in the floorboards of his house and the heart is beating and he finally admits it. Well, the imp of the perverse is where he killed somebody. He was living, I better not give it away. Just go read the imp of the perverse. It's a great story, but I got the right thing. He was running away from his fear and everything, but that guy could write. I got to tell you what, if you've never read Poe, don't, it, it's dark. That's Very true. Dark. Sometimes it's uplifting though. He's got some great comedy. He's got some wonderful science. He, really, he's got some great stuff, but some of his work is really dark. But um, uh, do not, if you go to read any of Poe, please do not let it interfere with your Bible reading. Just don't watch one of the things you watch on TV that day, okay? Uh, I hate asking people to do something because I think I can see them saying, well, I'm going to start reading Poe, and then they don't read their Bible. Don't do that. That's not a happy, okay? That's a, that's a bad but um, if you want to read any of Edgar Allan Poe, you can read it right online. You don't need to buy the book, although you can get a copy of it, go on Amazon or wherever you buy books from, and you can get a copy of it for probably eight bucks, and it's the entire works of Poe. And you just sit down and read it, you know, a couple pages a day, and you'll be done in no time. And, it, it, he and just, the ravens are going to be good this year. The ravens, I'm telling you what, oh boy, I, I don't know anything about sports, so that went right over my head. But 
Uh, yeah, once upon a oh, midnight okay. dreary, while I ponder weak and weary over many a quaint and curious volume of forgotten lore, while yes. I'm not nearly napping, suddenly there came a ta- There you go, we'll stop there. I can recite the whole thing, and it's been probably wow. 20 years. Okay, life application. Uh, how unfortunate it is that Christians are so quick to tear one another apart over minor differences, okay? You have to stand on doctrine. If you do not stand on doctrine, you are standing on nothing. Okay, so if somebody is doctrinally teaching something that is incorrect and is adamant about it, there are, it is fine that you say you are teaching incorrect and I'm done with you, okay? Unless you're willing to uh, acknowledge that what you're teaching is a heresy or it is faulty and you're leading people astray, you have to stand on doctrine. But people will tear each other. There's this one guy, I think his name is Rick Weil. Somebody sent me something of his years ago. I don't watch people like this. I, I, you know, I don't read their stuff. But he was saying that if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, you are a heretic and you are teaching heresy. And I thought, that is one of the most silly arguments I've ever heard. I don't care if you believe in a rapture. I don't care if you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture, a mid-trib rapture, or a post-trib rapture. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me what you believe. It's not an important doctrine. It's all that some people think about or, you know, watch on TV, but it's not an important doctrine. It, it, it has nothing to do with salvation. There are people all over this world, and for the past 2,000 years, we're talking about billions and billions of people that have never heard of the rapture. They have no idea what it is. How many people in the world actually have their own Bible up until 50 or 80 years ago? A very small percentage of them. It's not something people taught. They didn't talk about it. And yet, People have been saved for these 2,000 years without knowing anything about the rapture. And yet somebody is going to come on and he's going to say, you're a heretic because you believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. It's ridiculous, and that's what I'm talking about. Nitpicky little things like that that I don't understand how somebody could be so petty with their theologies to say something like that. Pre-tribulation rapture is correct. We've gone through it a million times, and we'll go through it a million and one eventually. We'll, we'll go through it again. Actually, we're going to go through it in this chapter, okay? If I'd stop talking, we could get to it today, but that's not going to happen. Anyway, um, so just understand that there are things that are worth fighting over, and there are things that are not. And the rapture is not one of them, okay? It is not. You defend your position and then give each other a hug and walk away. That's it. It's not something that is a major, as I say, how unfortunate is that Christians are so quick to tear one another apart over minor differences. Here it is. There are many major doctrines which we must stand on, but churches have been divided over things as stupid as whether the congregation should stand, kneel, or sit during prayer. I know churches that have done that. Pet peeves produce poor parishioners. How'd you like that alliteration? Let us put them aside and demonstrate the love that we have been called to. Pet peeves produce poor parishioners. Okay? You're John Phillips now. And there you go. John, I'm, call me Charlie Phillips today. Okay. Anyway, that's don't divide a church over something so idiotic. That's crazy. Uh, whatever. Okay, yeah. Or, you know, you get the churches. I understand. They they like it. They've been doing it their whole life, but there are churches that will not allow any instruments in church. 
you must use your voice only. And then some of them go so far as to say you must only sing Davidic Psalms. Now, yeah, I've been in one. I was in one when I traveled around in 2010. Only the Davidic Psalms. You, you can't sing anything else in there and no instruments. Okay. And, but they take that pet peeve of theirs and they shove it on everybody else that you are not in a true church because, and guess what? The Davidic Psalms are only based on the Psalms of David. They're not the Psalms of David. So they're not even reading or singing Davidic Psalms except as modified by them. Now tell me that makes any sense at all. Yeah, they didn't play the lute and the lyre and the harp and the, uh, Okay, anyway, this is this is what we call crazy, but this is what people will dwell on. Don't do that, okay? Be free in Christ. You have all kinds of freedom in Christ. My, uh, uh, I may have said this one time. I, I, I think I did, but maybe it was on Sunday. My dad one time went all around the world. He was just depressed about something, and he decided he's just going to go around the world. And like he got, arrived in Perth, Australia, and he got on a bus, and he traveled all the way across Australia and got to some other place, and he got on a ship. And he sailed on a ship, and they stopped at a teeny little island in the middle of nowhere. He was just just wanted to go see the world all by himself, okay? And he got on this one little island where they were all Christians. And they met on Sunday outside, oh no, not in a building, and the women were Polynesian or something, so they didn't wear... Tops. Yeah, you know? Listen, that is their culture. That is their society, and they have never worn those things. And they were Christians, and they were out there praising the Lord in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the ocean, little island in the middle of nowhere, right? Hey, don't let your pet peeves... The reason why I bring that up is because I been in a church when my kids were growing up that I attended because they it was co-located with the school they went to where women had to have dresses below the knee if I'm sorry you got to leave you're wearing pants okay they couldn't have that and they had all these rules and regulations that was the deadest church okay the pastor was a really nice guy the original pastor before he died okay but it was just dead they're, everybody's judgmental, everybody's legalist. If you brought in anything but a King James Version, you were being consigned to hell by the whole right side of the church. It's terrible, okay? Anyway, don't, don't let those things get into you and infect your life. Be free in Christ to understand that there are cultural differences in people. If it's not defined in the Bible, let it go, okay? Let it go. All right, 410. 410. <clears throat> and in fact, you was do. that cough in there? Is that it was? Oh, okay. It was. Uh, uh, I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> you are actually. <laughs> and in fact, you do love all the brothers through Macedonia. Yet we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. Okay, it's close. Um, and indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Okay, so here we are in Thessalonica. Thessalonica is in Macedonia. Remember, they were over in the province of Asia, and they got the call to go across. They went across. They went to uh, Thessalonica. And then after Thessalonica, they went to where? Berea. Berea. Okay, and then Paul is going to get chased out of Berea, and he's going to go where next? Uh, I, I do know, but Begins I with an A, ends with a thens. Athens. Athens. Right. He's got You're it. Right. Okay, so um, he's going today. down there, and then uh, uh, he's going to speak at the Areopagus, and uh, it is truly, uh, that is, I was talking about that before we started today. Acts 17 
is one of my, if not my favorite chapter in the whole Bible. And I'm talking mostly just about Acts 17, the Areopagus verses, where Paul uses reason, he uses logic, and he uses scripture. He doesn't cite scripture, but he uses the concepts from scripture to defend his belief in one God and how to approach that one God, which is through Jesus Christ. I absolutely love what he does. He uses Greek philosophers that had nothing to do with the faith and cites them when he introduces these people to an understanding of who God is. He's saying, this is general revelation. These people know this, and yet they had no knowledge of, of God any other way. They didn't know Jesus, and yet, and so he cites them. And so it, I absolutely love Acts chapter 17. It is a great, great chapter. Um, I'm really loving the entire book of Acts. I've, I've never had so much fun typing commentaries as I have with Acts. What a great book. Anyway, um, you know, what a great book. Okay, um, 410. Paul's words now serve as a compliment uh, toward his readers. He had just noted that they were taught by God to love one another. That was the last verse. Now, his compliment based on that is his words, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. The love of the Thessalonians for other believers was evident in their missionary enterprises, which Paul noted in verse 1-8. There he said that from Thessalonica, even the Lord's message had sounded forth not only throughout Macedonia, but it had even extended as far as Achaia. In carrying the message, they had also carried love for the brethren. This was a point upon which he complimented them. But he then goes further by urging them on to even greater things, saying, but we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. The intent of Paul's words is to encourage them to seek perfection in their love of the brethren. This cannot be taken as any sort of a rebuke, but rather as an exhortation to continue to perfect that which they had already displayed. Peter states the same thing to his audience in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. While we're looking for that, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9, um, I will say that uh, I was asked before we started about... Um, uh, do I think that uh, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews? And 2 Peter, uh, what did I say? 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9. Okay, so um, my answer was yes. Uh, Paul wrote the book of Hebrews. It's it's very certain that he did. You know, a lot of people argue for other people. They give names. They throw out all kinds of names, like Barnabas. Like, how would they know that? Because we don't have any of Barnabas's writing, so we wouldn't have anything to compare it with. But um, before I go to 2 Peter uh, 1, 5 through 9, it says in 2 Peter um, 3, um, 15, and consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our brother, beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to you, has written to you. And everybody here got this right, that Peter is writing his epistle to the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, okay? He is the apostle to the Jews, okay? And yet, he says that Paul wrote a letter to them, all right? Well, either that letter is lost or it is Hebrews. But more than that, we went to the uh, book can read it right online. I cited it about 8,000 times in last Sunday's sermon, um, Number in Scripture by Bollinger. And if you go down towards the bottom, what you want to do is just do a search, you know, control F and it'll start searching words and just type in the word Hebrews. And it gives all kinds of information that 
he uses to defend why Hebrews is inspired by God and it is the 14th letter of Paul. He does a marvelous job of it. So if you want to just read something that is marvelously put together, Bullinger's work on uh, verifying why Hebrews was certainly written by Paul, but not not from any other way than just the wisdom of God being revealed in it. You'll be astonished. Anyway, um, so we're now in um, uh, 1 Peter, I've said it twice now, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 9, and it says there, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness. This is what Paul's kind of writing about. And to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying to him. And then verse 9 finishes with, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Okay, so he's talking about brotherly love. I brought that up with Peter, but I always stop when we look at those verses and remind you that those verses confirm 100% without any doubt at all the doctrine of eternal salvation. Read it again. For he who lacks these things, he, he hasn't been virtuous, he, has, he hasn't been diligent, he hasn't been virtuous, he hasn't been knowledgeable, he's not self-controlled, he is... Uh, not persevering at all. He's not godly, okay? He is not kind, and he is not brotherly loving. You can infer that from what Peter says. If you do these things, you will increase in those. He says, for if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the opposite is, if you are not doing these things, then you will not abound, and you will be un fruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he confirms that that person that is all the things that he just says are not, for he who lacks these things, all of those things that he just said, is short-sighted, obviously. He's given up on his sighting of Jesus, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was, past tense, cleansed from his old sins. This person was saved, and he remains saved. And guess what? He has no fruit at all. One of my friends loves to call, and when he calls, he always talks about uh, the, the people that believe in grace. They preach grace. They talk about grace. And yet, the next thing out of their mouth constantly is, and now you have to prove that by doing works. And I think that guy, or whoever said that to him, does not understand what grace means. This guy here did not prove anything. He is unfruitful. He is barren. He has no knowledge of the salvation that he accepted. And yet God has cleansed him from his past sins. He is saved. And he is on his way to the judgment seat of, uh, of Christ. And he is going to have all of the things that he did not do for Jesus burned away. Yet he will be saved as by fire. Okay. I don't understand how people can come to the erroneous conclusion that you can add to the Bible by saying something the Bible does not say, right. that you must prove your salvation by works. If you want to help that guy, go, what's that? Prove it to who? Yeah, yeah, who are you proving it to? Yeah. yeah. You've got to prove it to me, because if you don't prove it to me, then I'm going to question your salvation. Right. 
Oh, before yeah. we get started on mine, tell me about your Yeah, what works. have you done? And, yeah. and, and show me where your works mm-hmm. are recorded in Bible. What you're doing is, right. it's, it's not. I, I assure you, right. it's not. Okay, so uh, if you want to work for the Lord, if you want to do things for the Lord, I made an appeal about what? Uh, it's been 30 minutes. Okay, I made an appeal for helping these folks. See, mm-hmm. one pretty family, see the two daughters? Yep. Isn't that nice? Okay, I made an appeal. If nobody emails me today, does that mean they're not saved? No. Have they not proved their works? You see the logic? You yeah, see the fallacy in this? Okay. Control. If they don't, they don't. The guy will make do. He'll, life will go on. Ah. I know. We'll just go on. Yeah. I, it's, it's maddening how people take their pet peeves and they shove them into scripture and they impose them on other people. And the, the, the sad thing about it is, is that if you go back to the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 10 through 15, it's basically, okay, we've all got the foundation. We've all been saved. Foundation. Okay, am I putting precious stones or am I putting hay? Yeah, and we're because all it's get, all going to be burned. We're to have to go through the fire, like, you know, the, 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 you know what have you done for me? As a Christian, it's not like, you know, are you saved or not? Insane. It's crazy. Insane. I just listened to that this morning. Just this morning, yeah, because I got through Romans and I started 1 Corinthians. And uh, so I'm uh, 1 Corinthians just this morning, leaving them all, going back home. So anyway, good. It's wonderful. Ah, The foundation was firm. The foundation was firm. Okay, like Peter, Paul is not focusing on the lack. Instead, he is exhorting towards perfection. This is what all Christians should strive for, knowing that it is this which is pleasing to the Lord. If you're not striving for perfection, if you're not growing in his word, then you're not being a pleasing body or a pleasing vessel to the Lord, okay? But you should be. You're not losing your salvation in the process, okay? Um, Now, we have here at the Superior Word, the church is online. So, we have people that are not here that may be watching right now that attend the church, right? So, I'm not poking a finger at anybody. There may be people that are not watching right now. Everybody got that? And they may not watch it later when it's recorded on the video on YouTube. Are they going to lose their salvation? Are they not being productive in the Lord because of that? No. They just aren't watching the Bible study. And yet at the same time, I would wish that they would watch the Bible study because it is a part of their growing in Christ, okay? I'm not gonna tell them you're not a good Christian because you don't come to this church or you don't attend online, okay? And I know people in Sarasota that don't attend this church but still watch the Bible studies, okay? So that's what they like. They like the Bible studies and whatever. So everybody's different. Um, I know you are. I told everybody about you. That's um, uh, who I told all of you about won't be coming because she's not tutoring anymore. Uh, yes. I, I, I could have guessed that was coming. You're very bad for interrupting this Your class. Your salvation is secure. <laughs> Your salvation is secure. Anyway, I was going to bring that up, but I didn't want to embarrass anybody, so I didn't say anything, and I started talking around it. Yes, it was them. Yeah. She. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't. It doesn't matter. Okay, you're not going to lose your salvation. And people love to lump. I remember 
um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, the guy that knows the Bible so well and has got the wife Jack that. Van uh, Ampe. 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 Jack Van Ampe. Okay. And his wife, Rexella. And she looks at him and they'll pan the camera to her and she's looking at him doing this. He's over there. You know, it's just kind of a goofy setup that, that they have. Is he still on TV? No. I, mean, I haven't seen him in years. But. Oh, he is. He's dead. Okay. Well, I don't know. I haven't seen him in years and years. But I remember him talking. He knows the Bible. Like, he, he can he can shout out scripture like you can't believe. Subject. He did it by subject. subject. Yeah, he does. He By numbers. By He had a great mind. But one time he's sitting there, and he's, you know how he get, he'd start getting frustrated? And he'd start throwing his, ooh, those Christians that don't go to church on Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, they're such bad Christians. And I thought, show me that. Show me that in this book. The guy that knows the Bible probably better than anybody I've ever heard is frustrated because of his pet peeves. I thought, what does Paul say in Romans chapter 14? You know what? You know where I'm going with this? What's that? Well, not that one, but it, 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 he, he essentially is saying that. But in Romans 14, he says, now tell me where this fits into what I just told you about Jack Van Ampe. He says, one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Wednesday night, Sunday morning, and Sunday night, or you're a bad Christian? I, he knows the word, but he's got these presuppositions that he must insert into the Bible. That's it's a shame. Yeah, but what does that mean? There are people that don't. Yeah, there are people that don't even have a church in their town, and they're attending right now. I know some of them. Yeah, they're 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 joining the assembly in the best way that they can. So you know. Boy, I'm so glad for the freedom that we have with the internet for people because there are people that have no church, not even a bad church in their town in some places, none. And I think, what a challenge. But now they, they can at least attend somewhere, whether it's here or somewhere else online. They can watch something later. I'm so happy for that. Okay, anyway, um, uh, yeah, be pleasing to the Lord. Life application. No matter how long we are in this body of flesh, we will never be perfect, nor will any of our Christian qualities be perfected. Only when we are glorified at the coming of Christ will this be so. However, we can and should strive for perfection at all times. Let us do this to the glory of God and for the mutual benefit of those we encounter in our daily lives. Okay? That's, keep striving forward. Keep going forward in Christ. Keep learning about Christ. Above all, and I know that it may sound cliche after the nine millionth time, but above all, read this word. Because if you do that, you will be saving yourself from all kinds of harm. I know I say that at the end of every sermon. I say it 50 times during the Bible class. But that is, to me, the most important thing you can do with your life, is to read this word after you have been saved. Know this word so that you are not drawn in by somebody with bad motives. We were talking about bad motives before the class today is that, um, you know, tithing. Oh, and, Lord. you know, these people, he knows these people on a, like a pastor's site, and they're in there, and uh, he, he mentioned, well, tithing, you know, and all of a sudden it all blew up, right? You've got to tithe. And all these pastors that are supposed to know the word start coming out with arguments why you must tithe. 
Right. And it's right. that's absolutely crazy. And one of them throughout, which I've mentioned many times before, is the law of first mention. If something is mentioned the first time in the Bible, then that's a law that you need to stick with because Abraham tithed before the law, and therefore that sets a precedent. Well, first off, the account of Melchizedek is descriptive. It only describes. It doesn't prescribe anything for anybody. But my argument always when I hear somebody say that is, are you also building an ark? Because that was mentioned the first time in the Bible. And if you're not building an ark, then why aren't you? If you're mandating tithing because of that account, then why aren't you building an ark? It's crazy. There is no law first mentioned. If you ever hear somebody bring that up, that was made up by somebody that knows what the Bible says about tithing, knows what it says. And so they said, well, I can't lie about that because this guy knows. And so all of a sudden it pops into his mind, ah, Abraham, well, that precedes the law and it was first mentioned before the law and therefore you must do it. Well, if your daughter sleeps with somebody else, are you supposed to take her out and fire, burn her with fire? Because that's mentioned before the law as well, isn't it? Ouch. Yeah. It's, uh, why aren't you burning your daughter who's now had an affair with another person? Because it's not a law. It's not a precept of the Bible. Okay? Uh, okay. Well, and if it is a, a first mention, how many times did he tithe to Melchizedek? Yeah, absolutely. And it doesn't it say anything plunder. else. What? It was plunder. Should I get it? It was plunder. Yeah, we got to go steal money from somebody to get it to somebody else. Then give them 10%. The whole thing is just crazy. crazy. Anyway, don't let people know this word and you will not be trapped into that type of stuff. That was the point. Mm -hmm. Know this word. And if it sounds wrong, then check it out because that person is probably wrong. You have been reading the word and it doesn't sound right to you. That is you saying, I've read that and I don't see how he's come to that conclusion. That's your guard against these type of people, is know your Bible. 411. 411. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands, just as we told you. That you also aspire, I like that word, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. So it's very close, very close. But Except for the aspire. The aspire, thing. which I really like that word, aspire. That's that's one of those, uh, golden, those high and lofty things I aspire to. Is Pretentious. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Paul's words here form a paradox. He says that the Thessalonians are to, are to also aspire to lead a quiet life. The sense given is that they are to strive to be quiet. In other words, it would be comparable to saying, so contained should believers be that they are actually willing to jump out of their skin in order to remain that way. It's a paradox. You're saying one thing totally opposite of the other, but making a point about it. The words thus indicate a superlative nature involved in our striving for a quiet life. Be be as diligent and as robust as you can to live quietly is basically what, okay. Yeah, Mm -hmm. next he says, to mind your own business. Christians are not to be busybodies. It is explicitly stated by Paul in his second letter to the same group of people. He's gonna write in uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, verses 11 and 12. Okay, Um, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, 
not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, he just told them in the first letter not to be busybodies. Right. And now there are people in the congregation that disobeyed his letter. Did they lose their salvation? I don't think so. Apparently not. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. So he told them once, they're not doing what they are instructed by an apostle of Jesus Christ, and yet he calls them brethren. Mm -hmm. They're a congregation. He doesn't question their salvation. He doesn't say, kick them out because they're doing something immoral sexually like he does in 1 Corinthians. Okay, so it's everything has a context. Everything has a purpose that's in the Bible to lead us to understanding these things. Okay, so in this we are only to express our opinions and actions in regard to others' lives when we are asked to do so. Other than that, we are to mind our own business, leaving others to what pleases them. Okay, next he says, and to work with your own hands. Uh, that was one of the points that he brought up as the pastor started attacking him on this site, and they said, well, how are they going to make their budgets, and how are they going to pay their bills? And he said, this church never asks, ever. We've never asked for anything in this church except for other people, okay? And if people didn't give to this church, I still had, when we started, five part-time jobs. I'm down to three now, okay? I got rid of two of them over the past few years, thank goodness, because it was a lot of work. But I will continue to do those because I want to make sure that the bills are always paid. And with a wife that's now retiring, it's going to be even more necessary, okay? But what was the point I was making? The Lord um, looks after his... Oh, yes, okay, and to work with your own hands. Work with your hands. Paul has set the example for them. He came and ministered to them, and yet he continued to work in his profession as a tent maker. As an apostle, and he says this elsewhere, I, he has the right to receive something from the people. And he said, I did not use this right, okay? It may be that as the Thessalonians went out to tell others about the Lord, that they became indolent towards productive work. In this, they would then become a burden on others. That's one thing we should never do. Now, there are some people that are incapable of taking care of themselves, but we spend a lot of time in our lives, several of us here, in the projects. And there are people that are indolent that are a burden on everybody but themselves. And they've been that way their whole life. They've never worked a job in their life. Now, there was one wonderful family that uh, we went to year after year. It took a long time, year after year. And the we'll say the one that we, our age mostly, maybe not Tom's, the mother would probably be, I'm kidding. Anyway, um, uh, so you have uh, the great-grandmothers there, the grandmother's there, her children are there, and then there's great-grandchild. So there's four generations in there. The one that is more aligned with our age, you know who I'm talking about, right? Okay, so. yeah, yes. anyway, she, uh, uh, she had never worked a day in her life. She was on drugs, she was a drug addict, her, her children were taken away from her, and we just kept plugging along, going to that house every single Saturday, never missed a Saturday in all the years that we have gone down there. And eventually, she got her children back. Eventually, she got her first job ever at 36 years of age. She got a job working for the people at the uh, uh, the Mennonites, the hotel and the food place that everybody loves. What's it called? Um, Der Dutchman. Uh, Dutchman, okay. Worked at the hotel. 
she would come running up to us when she, what's that? Carlisle Hotel, okay? She'd come running up to us. I want to pray with you. I've got to go. i got to get to work. Isn't that something? Crazy. It's all that time that took. But she eventually yielded herself to what is right, okay? This is what Paul says. Don't be a burden on others. That's all she ever was. She was just a burden on everybody around her. She was a burden on her children. She was a burden on her mother. She was a burden on the government, your tax dollars. And it took time. It took a lot of a lot of time and patience. Now we haven't seen her since the last time we saw her was, was when uh, her uncle died right. and there was a funeral out there and at the time everybody was wearing masks and she'd gotten a little older. I could I couldn't tell who it was. All I saw was his face come running up to us up to us with tears streaming down her face and she was giving us hugs and thanking us. I was assuming it was because uh, uh, we came to the funeral or we were there with the people. It wasn't at the funeral, but it was where they were gathered. And finally somebody said, Charlie, that's, and they said her name. And I'm like, oh, here's this gray hair all of a sudden. I had no idea. So because got this big mask on her face, right? It's COVID time. All right. But anyway, um, it, it, don't be a burden on others ever. Okay. Work your own way in life, pay your own way. And if you have to take something from somebody, be willing to pay it back. As a matter of fact, it says the wicked man does not pay back a debt. What is that? Psalm 36 or something. Anywhere. It's so right in there. Okay. Don't be a burden on others. There are times where you need to rely on others, and that's not the same thing. Okay. It's a hugely different thing. I'm talking about being able to do something and not doing it. Okay. You have a responsibility to conduct your own affairs, and that is being lost in this world by the day. Um, anyway, um, we'll go on. Work with your own hands. He set the example for them. It may be that as the Thessalonians went out to tell others about the Lord. Oh, I said that. Okay. It could also be, as Paul will hint at in his next letter, that the believers were so caught up in the fact that Jesus might be returning soon that they just sat around talking about the rapture and getting nothing productive done in the meantime. And if you think that that ended with the Thessalonians, you can go on the rapture websites and there are people that have been on those sites for years. And that's all they do. I went into 7-Eleven today and I got back $7.77 change and I know that the rapture is happening next Tuesday at 7.07 .07 in the morning. I, I'm not kidding. This is never ending stream of this nonsense from these people. And it goes on and on and on. One lady that uh, uh, listens to the Bible studies will send me about once a week some crazy thing that she saw on one of these rapture websites. That, and that's all they do. It's constant. I had a dream, and the dream means that we're going to be leaving in the rapture on Tuesday morning at 12.07 or something. Constant. That is what Paul is writing about there in 2 Thessalonians, and it has never ended. As a matter of fact, it's gotten a lot worse with people. They're on there and they're, they've got everybody believing that they have some insight with the Lord through a dream or a prophecy or and they just sit there and eat it up. That's all they do with their lives. Uh, terrible, terrible. Rapture seekers, unfortunately, that same sad type of conduct continues on today. Rapture seekers find all kinds of reason to do nothing productive for themselves or for the church as they make ridiculous predictions about the coming of the rapture. I'd forgotten I typed that. I typed that like eight years ago and it's exactly the same. The same people doing the same things eight years later constantly, constantly. Every time a prediction fails, another pops up to replace it. They do not know the Bible at all. 
They do not know scripture. You go to those rapture websites and all they're doing is prophesying and talking about this rapture is going to be at this time and that's because it says it in Daniel 9, 27, blah, 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 blah. They don't have any idea of context of scripture. Zero. Don't be like that. And I'm saying this adamantly because there may be somebody right now that's one of those people and I would hope that they would stop it. Okay, I know nobody here does that kind of stuff, but it is really important to know your Bible and not get caught up in that kind of stuff. Okay, finally, he says, as we commanded you. His words are not new. Rather, they have already been noted while he was present with them. Word probably came back to him that these things were being neglected. And because of this, he is once again reminding them of the need to act in these important ways. Should they fail, there would be disunity and disharmony among the believers and discredit upon the faith in the eyes of non-believers. Obviously, these precepts remain the same, and those who do not follow them fall into exactly these same unhappy results. Okay, I will say this. I did a sermon recently in Joshua, probably a month and a half ago now, on the borders of Zebulun. Do you remember what the picture was being made of that case zebulun glorious dwelling place is what zebulun means it was about the rapture remember that it's as clear as it can be from there and i thought about this i thought i could probably get two hundred thousand views on this video i usually get 600 views or something i don't know i don't look at it i'm just saying say we get 600 views on a, a sermon before it stops being you know highlighted by youtube I guarantee you that if I had said rapture revealed in the book of Joshua chapter blah 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 I would have gotten 200,000 views and I purposefully did not do that. I said the borders of Zebulun. That's the title of that sermon purposefully because I'm not into that kind of nonsense. But I could have had this crazy thing on the top and somebody pointing at something in the arrow pointing there on the thumbnail that people look at and I guarantee you if I did that that video would have gone viral and it would have had hundreds of thousands of views. I guarantee it. And I'm not going to do that. That is crazy. Now, I have been thinking about taking it and saying the rapture revealed in Joshua and just putting it out there, but with, without all the hype and stuff, just so that people that want to know, it may interest them in watching the other Joshua sermons. I've thought about that. I don't know if I will do that or not. It's already out there and I really don't care. I just would like people to get into the Bible and that's one way of maybe getting them to do it. But it's heartbreaking to me that people make stuff up out of, the, out of their heads. It has nothing to do with the Bible, and they say titles like that. And then what do they do? They get three million views. Right. I mean, it's just whatever. Okay, um, so uh, we're 411, and let's see here. Every Oh, yeah, okay, uh, he said, life application. If you are a busybody, an idle person, or a rapture speculator, Paul's word should speak out to you today. We need to keep our noses out of other folks' business. We need to be diligent in work, and we need to let the Lord decide on when he will return. He will come at exactly the right moment to not act in the manner of Paul in which he instructs only stains the name of Christ in the eyes of others, and it brings unnecessary division to the body. That's all it does. It does not help anything. It does not solve anything. None of it. 412. So that your daily life may win the respect 
of outsiders so that you will not be dependent on anybody. Okay, this one instead of daily life, they use the word that scripture uses, that you may walk. That's your daily, your walk is your daily life. It's your conduct in life. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Excuse me. Paul continues with his exhortation to increase more and more from verse 10. He now tells them to walk properly. To walk signifies the conduct of one's life as it does consistently in scripture. Like it'll say, Abraham walked or Moses walked, and it's talking about his conduct in life, okay? And then we translate it differently because it doesn't really make much sense saying Joshua walked, whatever. But sometimes we use that, like Joshua walked with God or Enoch walked with God, but usually they will translate it some other way like they did there, just so it makes more sense to us. To, uh, let's see here. Um, in this case, the word means having good form, and it is the opposite of walking in a disorderly fashion as is noted in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 6. He then adds on to this the words, toward those who are outside. Now, when he says outside, he's obviously talking about people that are not in the church, okay? There are a multitude of reasons that can be inferred as to why we should so walk. We want to be right examples for others. We would not want to be seen as inviting sin and unholiness. We would not want to be seen as subversive to the society in which we live, okay? Now, that's something that people can take a little bit uh, uh, wrong. I mean, just because you disagree with a perverted lifestyle does not mean that you are being subversive, okay? And there are people that will equate that to it. If you don't believe the way I believe, if you don't accept my style of life, or because the government condones it especially, you are being subversive. And that has been applied to people in churches now for several years, and it's only going to get worse. It has nothing to do with subverting the government. It has to do with upholding right morality, okay? Completely different, so I wanted to qualify that so you know what it's talking about. We have every right to talk about the negative things that are happening in our land, in our government, in our uh, community, we have every right to do that, and we're not being subversive in the process. We're simply disagreeing with them, and we're trying to make a change from them. That is not subversion, but that is how they take it, okay? Um, uh, we would not want to, yes, okay, in walking properly, we would avoid such things, bring honor to the Lord, and have no reason for accusation against the title of Christian. Having said that, it doesn't matter right now if you... Uh, it, it, it doesn't matter right now if you're doing these things that Paul says or not. If you have the title of Christian, they are going to look negatively on you. We've seen that. It, doctor gave me something to read before uh, we started today, okay? We've got the FBI, and I mentioned this during a prophecy update, the FBI infiltrating churches in America. Remember the Latin Mass and all that? They're actually infiltrating churches. And my comment to them was, good, let them do it here. They can watch online. They can sit at home on Sunday morning with their orange juice and they can infiltrate this church. I don't care. Everything we do is public. It's not like we got locked doors and we're closed. If they want to know what we say here, just go back to YouTube and watch any YouTube sermon we've ever done. They're all right there. Doesn't make any difference to me at all. Okay, but they will not like you because you are a Christian and that's not going to change anything. And so I wouldn't even worry about how they feel. I wouldn't care at all. Okay, but they will of course uh, take 
maddening. You know, these people that uh, uh, Governor Newsom and, uh, you know, he, they want to kill babies. They just, it, it's an obsession in this land is to just Sports. kill babies, okay? They hate the Bible. They hate that Christians preach the Bible. Literally, they hate that. And yet, what did Newsom do when he wanted to uh, pass more abortion laws? He tried to cite the Bible. Cite the Bible on billboards around America. Come to California. We love our neighbor because we allow the murder of unborn. Okay, this is the this is what Paul is writing about. This is exactly the attitude that Paul is writing about. They don't even know the Bible. They just have a verse that sounds good. It's in the Bible, and so we'll kill children and we'll invite you to come and join us. Insane. Okay, so uh, what? Uh, where was I? Um, uh, subversive to the society. Uh, yes, accusation against the title of Christian. However, if we are walking properly and we suffer, then Peter tells the benefit of that. That's from 1 Peter chapter 3, and we'll be there in just one second. Okay. 1 Peter, once again, these teeny little books that are almost impossible to find on the first uh, go through. 1 Peter 3, and he says, um, I'll start in verse 13, and is that what I want? Yeah, 1 Peter 3, I'll start in 13. He who is, uh, who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats nor be troubled. Think of the guy that ended up getting hanged at the beginning of this. Uh, you know, that's going to be expected in life. It's going to be. It's not like it's something that it should be a surprise to anybody at this point okay it is coming and it's coming quicker than we can imagine but peter said it two thousand years ago do what's right like paul says here be a good example but if you suffer hey okay so um finally in this verse paul says and that you may lack nothing this can be taken in the neuter as in the translation or it can be taken in the masculine and thus read may lack of no man in other words, not sitting around idle waiting for the rapture to happen. In such a case, they would be dependent on others. This is certainly the intent of this passage. Paul will soon speak of the coming rapture, and he will continue to define events which will occur around that event in his next letter. In both, he indicates that this is what some were doing. They were sitting around. They were waiting on the coming of the Lord, and they were not productive in their regular or their Christian lives. This attitude is certainly contrary to walking properly. Once again, you go on, and there's not just like one or two of these, there are hundreds of these rapture websites out there. And there are some people that probably go to every one of them every day, okay, whatever. Those people are not walking properly, all right? And I try to say it every week when I do this prophecy report here, I try to say it every week, stop watching 55 prophecy updates. Pick two that you like and watch those and don't watch anymore. You've got a Bible to read, you've got a life to live, you've got things that need to be done. And I know that that's what they do. They just sit there all week ignoring the advice from Charlie because I look like a guy to not be trusted. I understand that. But all they want is their ear tickled and then they're going to go to the next one and the next one and all week long they're gonna do this. They're not walking properly at all. They're not growing in Christ. They're growing in tickled ears, okay? Unfortunately, there is an entire section of believers out there today who still fit this sad pattern. 
they are unproductive because they are speculating on what is known but to God. Equally unfortunate, they turn their lack of productivity around and claim that it is they who are doing the Lord's business by being watchmen. Anytime you hear somebody say, I'm a watchman on the wall, don't listen to them. Okay, that's my recommendation. They've got way too much watching time. Well, watching time, and they think too highly of themselves. I, that's, the I'm what? The oh, yeah, that's JWs through and through. They're the watchmen. That's exactly, they're the watchtower. Yeah, they're watchmen for the Lord's coming. Reject this type of behavior and walk properly in this life that you have been given. We should all be watchmen. But you don't need to brag that you're a watchman. I'm a watchman. For don't do that, okay? Just keep your eyes open. The Lord is coming. Pay attention to what's going on in the world. Know what's going on. But at the same time, don't dwell on that kind of stuff. You're He's wasting your time. plenty to do in the interim. The what? The Lord has given us plenty to He's do. He's given us a lot to do. He's given us a lot to do, a lot to learn, a lot to share with others, to pray for others, to help others. I, it, it, it goes on and on and on what we can be doing for Jesus. Okay, so there's no point in getting so consumed by things that you suddenly are, are not being productive for Jesus. Uh, life application. We are here to live out our lives to the full. Not sit around watching 10 rapture date setting videos a day. That is a waste of the life that the Lord has given us. Let us not fall into that sad routine because that's the only way I can describe it is it is a sad routine. It's something that we should not be in. Okay, you know what the rapture says. There's what 15 verses in the Bible that really define the rapture, and then there's some typology that we found in the Old Testament. You could do all of that in about 45 minutes, and then set it aside in six, seven, eight months from now. Refresh yourself. Good enough. Okay, 413. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or oh. to grieve like the rest of men. Uh, who have no hope. Okay, this is really the beginning of the trying to dismiss of it. Right, We're right. trying to dismiss it, and here it is, the beginning yeah. of it. Okay, <laughs> now, I, I will make a guess. I'm not going to check, okay? I'm not going to check, but I will bet that if you look, if somebody, say, six weeks from now, or whenever we're through these verses, okay, if they look at the, the uh, views on YouTube for 1 Thessalonians, I will bet you they will tick up right in these verses. They'll go up like this, and then they'll go right back down to nothing, okay? Somebody want to check that and, you know, give it a month or two after we're done with the, the passage. And if you remember to do it, I will bet you that it will go up. I bet you people will say, ooh, those are the rapture verses. I want to watch that. Yeah, watch that. Yep. Not that they haven't seen it 4,000 times, but I will bet that. And uh, I, I may, I don't know, because I, I never know until... I don't make up a title for the class until after we've done the class. I go home and I gotta edit everything or whatever. Whatever I do, depending on if the live stream records it, if it fails, I've gotta sit down and I've gotta do all this, you know, like a Sunday and it becomes all night work, whatever. But I, I have to assign a title to it after we've done the class because I don't know what verses we're gonna go through. And I may say something about the rapture. Mm. And if I do, you will definitely see those, those verses go up. But if I don't, you know, maybe they, they won't. But my guess is that if I was to say the rapture verses of 1 Thessalonians, people would just click on them just to have their ears tickled. Okay. But they won't go through the doctrine, the stuff that is really important. Like I said, the rapture is a minor, minor thing in the Bible. It's not a doctrinal issue other than 
you know, teaching it properly, but it's not something that will affect your salvation. It's not going to affect your walk with your wife. It's not going to affect how you work your job. None of those things, but whatever. Okay, 4.13. This verse begins the third major section of the chapter. He gave his finally then in verse 1. Then he introduced what is the will of God in verse 3. Next he added, but concerning brotherly love in verse 9. Now there is another but, which is one of the great hope for those who have lost loved ones before the coming of the Lord. As the letter was written 2,000 years ago, that is a lot of lost loved ones. And it is also a lot of hope in the hearts of God's people. He says, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Some translations here say we instead of I. Uh, it speaks of a matter which, if mistaught or misunderstood, would leave believers with sadness, confusion, and possibly even bitterness toward the faith. Okay, I will say that I, my mom knows this. I've talked to her about people like this in my life. I've known people that have lost a loved one and have walked away from the Lord. Mm -hmm. Walked away. That's kind of what I was saying to Hedeko a couple days ago when I said, I hope that I never fail to trust the Lord and his goodness, ever. Bad things happen. I hope that I never come to the point where I say, this is not worth it, okay? And I think every single person should have that attitude. Never say, why me, okay? And we do say, why me? And I'm sure I've said it a million times myself, but life happens, okay? But the one that I will say you can say, why me with is what Chris Christofferson wrote about. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done to be given the grace that you have given me? Now, that's a misquote of him, but I could sing it, but I, you all cry, so I won't do that. But I could sing it word for word. It is a great song. He's talking about why the Lord would be good enough to save him. What have I done to deserve your hand? Now, that's a why me we can ask. I've never heard that song. Oh, I've played it many times. You just don't remember it. I used to, when I used to play the music, uh -huh. I used to play but that a lot. here. Oh, well... I, if you think of it, go online, type in Chris Christofferson, Why Me Lord. Yep, okay, gotcha. And he was a lot like Johnny Cash. Okay, Johnny Cash was a guy that really suffered in life. He was a dark guy, but he did love the Lord. He was a saved person. I, I can be certain of that. But he had, his, he had his demons that bothered him all the time. They were afflicting him. I really believe that Chris Christofferson was like that too. These people had all this fame. They had all of this fortune. They met the Lord, they understood his goodness, but they, they just were hounded by the fame that they had, by the pressures of life, and you've got this thing that's going on. And some people just, it, it destroys them, okay? I would not be one bit surprised to see both of them someday in heaven, okay? Whatever. Um, uh, I don't see how anybody could write a song like that and not, and not have really been touched by the Lord. You'll love it, it's a beautiful song. Why me, Lord? Okay, um, uh, let's see here, uh, verse 9, uh, yes, the but. Okay, but I do not want you to be ignorant. Some say we. It speaks of a matter which, if mistaught or misunderstood, would leave believers with sadness. Okay, it is possible that there were already erroneous ideas being bandied about which were causing heartache and pain over those who have fallen asleep. Paul's words. What can be inferred here is that even at this early time after the establishment of the church in Thessalonica, 
some of the congregation had passed away. You can infer it just by what Paul says. Without Paul being there, it may be that someone went up to one of the grieving and said, I'm so sorry for your loss. It is too bad that this happened before the Lord's coming. Now they will never know what glory they have missed. That's the kind of thing that people will say rudely without, you know, maybe intentionally or without thinking of it or whatever. But I could see somebody saying that, well, you know, they're not here for the Lord's coming, so they're, they're done. Okay, in this, there's the erroneous assumption that death meant the end of that person's hopes for a return to paradise lost so long ago. Paul will now correct this, showing that death is a defeated enemy and nothing can block a believer's access to the glory which is promised. No, not even death itself. He says that explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15 as well. In this, he again calls them brethren. The words here are exclusively for believers. They are first and foremost to living believers as they are, as will be seen in the next verse, pertaining to believers who have died. He's speaking to living believers about believers who have died. These verses cannot be applied to anyone outside of a personal faith in Christ Jesus. In the term fallen asleep, there is already a clue as to where Paul is going with this. A person who is asleep is expected to do what at some point? Wake up. Wake up. A person who is dead is not. Paul uses this most friendly and comforting term, and then he applies it to believers who have, in fact, died. It is re- Oh, here it is. It is reminiscent of his words to the Corinthians concerning the defeated foe. 1 Corinthians 15, here it is. Turn there right now. It, what a great passage. I'm telling you, 1 Corinthians 15 is so uplifting. It is so wonderful. And he just, he nails so many points of theology in there that it's incredible. But he says here in uh, verse 55, I'll start in 54. So in this corruptible, you and me have put on incorruption and this mortal has been has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, uh, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Wow, how wonderful. As the people he refers to now are merely asleep, there should not be the sense of grieving that there would be over someone who had died. Now, he's not saying that people can't grieve. He's saying don't grieve as others do. We have a hope. And so even when we're, you know, I don't care if it's a dog. You miss your dog. We have grief over those type of things. We have something that we're familiar with, and then it's not there any longer. There is nothing wrong with grief. There's everything right with grief. God created it for us to help us process things. That's not what he's saying, but he wants us to understand that we should not grieve as others do. Okay? So, um, to bolster this, he then says, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The word others is speaking of anyone who is not in Christ. We got four minutes. When a person does not, when a person not in Christ dies, there is truly no hope. And even if a person in Christ dies, an unbelieving friend or family member still senses only loss because they don't believe in a resurrection. They have no hope for the one who will actually someday be resurrected. To the one suffering the loss, there is only the anguished thought of eternal separation. Oh, we're going to make it. But in Paul's words, there is hope. 
if he is making a contrast of those who have no hope, then that means there must, in fact, be hope. He will continue with this thought about this marvelous hope through the end of the chapter. Life application. Death is a sad time, even for Christians, because we will miss the fellowship and happiness that we share together now. But there is also a sense of joy in knowing that our beloved friend or family member is with the Lord. There is great comfort in Jesus Christ. Let us rest in him in our times of sadness, drawing from the well of comfort that he has given us, the pages of Scripture. This is why we stick to the Bible. This is where, why we read the Bible. This is why we have the hope that we have is because the Bible tells us about what God has done in Christ. And the more you know that, the more that you are assured because of the reliability of the word. I mean, like after last, uh, I know last uh, week's sermon was technical. It was difficult. But not as but, technical as I thought it was. No, but to see the patterns in there, to see the reliability of what God has put in his word is just one more nail in the coffin of getting rid of any doubts that you have. Okay, and that's why things like that uplift me. And one of the people came up here, uh, sits in the back row with his wife. Okay, uh, you know who I'm talking about. I don't want to say a name without permission, but he walked up and he was so excited about that because that's the kind of mind he has is this analytical thing. Some people like other things. That's the first time he's ever said that for any sermon. But it, because it was so analytical and he could grasp it, he said, that was just marvelous. And he wasn't talking about my presentation. He was talking about the contents, okay? My presentation is lacking even on a good day. So, uh, but he was very excited about the contents of that, and that just tickled me pink. Heavenly Father, how good it is to be in your presence and to know with absolute certainty that we have a hope that goes beyond this world. We have a hope that is eternal in nature, it is something that we cannot even comprehend at this point, and yet you've given us clues about it so that we can revel in what lies ahead. Not worrying about death, not fearing it in any way, shape, or form, and not grieving like others do that have no hope. Thank you for what goes beyond this life, this fallen, hurting, painful life that we have to endure through. Even with all of the good that you have given us, it still is a very difficult walk at times but we have a hope that transcends it. Thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus Christ who has made it possible. How we love you, how we praise you because of who you are and what you have done. Thank you, oh God. Amen. Amen. All right, goodbye to the folks online and I'll back the camera up now. Don't forget to uh, read your Bible and don't forget to show up Sunday morning for church. Or okay, else. Break. Yeah, nice.